Section 16. Models of the Stages of Enlightenment. Before I discuss the various models, I should begin by saying that this is almost certainly the most easily misconstrued chapter in this book. Further, if you are a big fan of standard Buddhist dogma, I strongly recommend that you stop reading this chapter now and skip to the conclusion of this book. Seriously, I am about to get quite irreverent again, but in that irreverence are bits of wisdom that are hard to find so explicitly stated elsewhere, so dismiss this chapter at your peril. The temptation when thinking about enlightenment is to come up with something defined that you can imagine, such as a state or quality of being, and then fixate on that ideal rather than doing the practices that can lead to freedom. It is absolutely guaranteed that anything you can imagine or define as being enlightenment is a limited and incorrect view. But these views are extremely tempting just the same, and generally continue to be very seductive even through the middle stages of enlightenment. Every possible description of the potential effects of realization is likely to feed into this unfortunate tendency. Thus, my distinct preference when practicing is to assume that enlightenment is completely impractical, produces no definable changes, and has nothing whatsoever to do with the scopes of the other trainings. This means that I take it as a working hypothesis that it will not make me a better person in any way, create any beneficial mental qualities, produce any states of happiness or peace, and provide no additional clarity into any of the issues surrounding how to live my ordinary life. I have experimented with adopting other views and found that they nearly always get in the way of my insight practices. A view so easily becomes sacred, and thus the temptation is not to investigate the sensations that make up thoughts about that view, but rather to imitate the ideal expressed in the content of that view. This can seem like practice in fundamental insight, but it is not. I realize that I am not doing a good job of advertising enlightenment here, particularly following my description of the dark night. Good point. My thesis is that those who must find it will, regardless of how it is advertised. As to the rest, well, what can be said? Am I doing a disservice by not selling it like nearly everyone else does? I don't think so. If you want grand advertisements for enlightenment, there is a great stinking mountain of it there for you to partake of, so I hardly think that my bringing it down to earth is going to cause some harmful deficiency of glitz in the great spiritual marketplace. Bill Hamilton had a lot of great one-liners, but my favorite concerned insight practices and their fruits, of which he said, Highly recommended, can't tell you why. That is probably the safest and most accurate advertisement for enlightenment that I have ever heard. There was a famous old dead enlightened guy, whose name ironically eludes me at the moment, who was known to have said, I've gained absolutely nothing through complete and unexcelled enlightenment. A friend of mine thinks it was the Buddha, and it may have been. Regardless, it is traditional to advertise enlightenment in the negative in the Buddhist tradition and many others, either stating that it is not or stating what is lost at each stage. But it is so very tempting to imagine that freedom from suffering will naturally translate into a permanent state of mental happiness or peace, and this can tempt one to try to mimic that idolized state. That would be a concentration practice. Having said all of that, 
the fact is that the models of the stages of enlightenment are out there and available. Even when they are not explicitly mentioned, they have an obvious influence on how people describe realization. Thus, I have decided to try to work with them so that they might be used in ways that are helpful rather than harmful. This is more difficult than it may initially sound. There are days I wish the words for awakening didn't exist, the models had never existed, and that the whole process was largely unknown to the ordinary person so that it would be less mythologized and aggrandized, thus making conversations about it much more normal and less reaction-producing. I wish we could start over, strip away all of the strange cultural and mythical trappings, create simple, clear terms, and move on with things. There are other days when I think that at least people know it might be possible, even if most of what has been said about it is pretty fantasy-based. My greatest dream is that the current generation of enlightened teachers will go far out of their way to correct the descriptive errors and false promises of the past and lay the groundwork for perpetuation of these forms despite the economic and social pressures to do otherwise. One of the issues holding this back is that, unfortunately, only a few have gone far enough to see how the vast majority of the golden dreams of enlightenment do not hold up to reality testing. Another is that putting oneself on an artificial pedestal can be rewarding in many ways. One way or another, the number of voices trying to bring things back in line with what can actually be done is small in comparison to the forces that want to make it into something grand and thus largely unattainable. Before I get too far into the details, I should explain that the most essential principle which I wish to drive home is that this is it meaning that this moment contains the truth. Any model that tries to drive a wedge between the specifics of what is happening in your world right now and what awakening entails needs to be considered with great skepticism. With the simple exception of the fact of poorly perceiving the sensations occurring now and habitually coming up with the illusion of a separate, continuous individual, nearly all of the rest of the dreams are problematic to some degree. This basic principle is essential to practice, as it focuses things on here and now, and also happens to be true. Back to the complexities. The mental models we use when on the spiritual path can have a profound effect on our journey and its outcome. Most spiritual practitioners have never really taken a hard-hitting look at their deepest beliefs about what enlightenment means, or what they imagine will be different when they get enlightened. Many probably have subconscious ideals that may have come from sources as diverse as cartoons, TV shows, Kung Fu comes to mind, movies, legends, 60s gurus, popular music, popular magazines, and other aspects of popular culture in general. More formal and traditional sources include the ancient texts and traditions of Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalah, however you spell it, Christianity, Western mystical traditions, alchemy, theosophy, golden dawn-related traditions, etc. The ancient Greek mystery schools, including the fragmentary writing of those like Heraclitus, and the non-aligned or ambiguously aligned teachers such as Kabir, Khalil, Gibran, J. Krishnamurti, and many others. Modern fusion traditions, such as the various new versions of Buddhism and other traditions that are present in the West, 
also have a wide range of explicit and implied ideals about awakening. Plenty of people also seem to take their inborn higher ideals for themselves or others that have arisen from sources hard to define and made these part of their working if unusually poorly defined models of enlightenment. There is also a strong tradition in the West of believing that enlightenment involves perfecting ourselves in some psychological sense, though this is also prominent in certain Eastern and traditional models as well, in slightly different forms. Just about all of these sources contain some aspects that may at times be useful, and other aspects that at times may be useless, or even send people in the wrong direction. The number of contradictions that can be found, even within each specific tradition on the subject, is much larger than I think most people imagine. For instance, those who attempt a systematic review of the dogmas of enlightenment within the Pali Canon will find themselves tangled in a mass of widely divergent doctrines, myths, stories, and ideals, and this is only one tradition. Thus, to take on the subject of models of the stages of enlightenment is a daunting task, but by breaking it down into simplified categories, some discussion of this wide mass of dogma and half-truth is possible. I will use both simple, broadly applicable models, and also discuss specific models that come from some of the traditions and try to relate these to reality. In the end, relating them to reality is essentially the practice, and that falls to you. I consider this attempt to be just one addition to an old tradition that attempts to reform the dogma and bring it back in line with verifiable truths, albeit one that is more specific and comprehensive than any that I have found. Each new culture, place, time and situation seems to need to do this again and again, as the forces within us and society that work to promote models that are out of touch with the truth of things are powerful and perennial with money, power, fame, ideals of endless bliss and pleasure, the enticing power of the ideals of self-perception and the pernicious inertia of tradition being chief among them. In that same vein, this chapter is very much a situation in which I claim a very high level of realization, right as if what I have achieved is sufficient authority to write a chapter such as this one and then present it as if this is a definitive text on the subject, sufficient to contradict significant portions of 2,500 years of traditions and teachings and writings of countless previous and current commentators. While it is hard from my current vantage point to not believe this to be true, anyone with sense will read this chapter with appropriate skepticism, and this, as I see it, is one of the strengths of properly applied Buddhism and rational thought in general. The Buddha was forever asking people not to take his word at face value, but instead to do the experiment and see if they could come to the same conclusions. I recommend the same. If you are able to achieve something beyond what I state is possible, more power to you, and please let me know how you did it. I would feel real regret if I thought that this work had hindered anyone from achieving their full human potential, and am always looking for practices and concepts that are useful. Here is a list of the basic categories of models that I use, though most traditions contain a mix of most or all of these. There are probably other aspects of the dreams of enlightenment that I have failed to address, but this list should cover most of the basic ones. I look at each of these as representing some axis of development, 
and basically all of them are good axes to work on regardless of what they have to do with enlightenment. That said, from what I have already said, it will not be hard to pick out my favorites. 1. Non-Duality Models Those models having to do with eliminating or seeing through the sense that there is a fundamentally separate or continuous center point, agent, watcher, doer, perceiver, subject, observer, or similar entity. 2. Fundamental Perceptual Models Those that have to do with directly perceiving fundamental aspects of things as they are, including perceiving emptiness, luminosity, impermanence, suffering, and other essential aspects of sensations regardless of what those sensations are. 3. Specific Perceptual Models Those that involve being able to perceive more and more, or all, of the specific sensations that make up experience with greater and greater clarity at most or all times and usually involve perfected, continuous, panoramic mindfulness or concentration at extremely high speed. 4. Emotional models are those that have to do with perfecting or limiting the emotional range, usually involving eliminating things like desire, greed, hatred, confusion, delusion, and the like. 5. The action models are those that have to do with perfecting or limiting the things we can and can't do in the ordinary sense, usually relating to always following some specific code of morality, or performing altruistic actions, or that everything we say or do will be exactly the right thing to have done in that situation. 6. Power models. Those that have to do with gaining inabilities either ordinary or extraordinary, such as psychic powers. 7. Energetic models are those that have to do with all the energy, such as chi, ki, piranha, etc., flowing through all the energy channels in the proper way, all the chakras spinning in the proper direction, perfecting our aura, etc. 8. Specific knowledge models those that have to do with gaining conceptual knowledge of facts and details about the specifics of reality, as contrasted with the models that deal with perceiving fundamental aspects of reality. 9. The psychological models are those that have to do with becoming psychologically perfected or eliminating psychological issues and problems, like having no stuff to deal with, no neurosis, no mental illness, perfect personalities, etc., Number 10. The Thought Models They are those that have to do with either limiting what thoughts can be thought, enhancing what thoughts can be thought, or involve stopping the process of thinking entirely. 11. God Models These are those that involve perceiving or becoming one with God or even becoming a God yourself. 12. Physical Models Those that involve having or acquiring a perfected, hyper-healthy or excellent physical body, such as having long earlobes, beautiful eyes, a yoga butt, or super-fast fists of steel. 13. Radiance models are those that involve having a presence that is remarkable in some way, such as being charismatic or radiating love, wisdom, or even light. 14. The karma models are those that involve being free of the laws of reality or causes that make bad things happen to people, and thus living in a blessed, protected, lucky, or disaster and illness-free life. 15. 
perpetual bliss models are those models that say that enlightenment involves a continuous state of happiness bliss or joy the corollary of this being a state that is perpetually free from suffering related to this are the models that involve a perpetual state of jahannic or meditative absorption sixteen the immortality models are those that involved living forever usually in an amazing place like heaven nirvana pure land etc or in an enhanced state of ability angels bodhisattvas sorcerers etc seventeen transcendent models are those models that state that one will be free from or somehow above the travails of the world while yet being in the world and thus live in a state of transcendence eighteen extinction models those that involve getting off the wheel of suffering the round of rebirths etc and thus never being reborn again or even ceasing to be at the moment of enlightenment that is the great poof on the cushion not to be confused with the more mundane atmospheric consequences of a legume-based diet as any one who has been on a vegetarian meditation retreat knows all too well nineteen love models these involve us loving everyone and or everyone loving us twenty unitive models that you will become one with everything in some sense twenty one social models say that you will somehow be accepted for what you may have attained that you have attained something when people think you have and variants on these themes like me you have probably run into most or all of these ideals of awakening in your spiritual quest and probably within yourself at some point in time either consciously or unconsciously given all of these high ideals it is not surprising that we find the task of awakening daunting if not preposterous imagine yourself as the universally accepted radiant immortal angel bodhisattva bright-eyed yoga but having all loving one with the universe endlessly mindful perfectly healthy emotionally perfected psychologically pure endlessly altruistic non-thinking desire-free psychic superhero star child of light and then notice how this image may be in some contrast with your current life if you're anything like me you will notice quite a bit of discrepancy i will take on each model relate them to a few of the traditions and try to make sense of where these ideals come from i will also address which ones are realistic and which are just a bunch of beautiful dreams that can either help you identify areas to work on or really screw up your spiritual quest if you're not careful you will note that none of these models come from any formal tradition in order to relate them to the traditions here is a list of some models from buddhism one the four-path model from the theravada which involves becoming a stream enterer second path third path and then an arahat however you spell it two the five-path model from the tibetans three the ten bodhisattva bhumis from the tibetans four the ideal buddhahood from all the buddhist traditions five the sudden and gradual awakening schools of zen there are other models from other traditions such as john of the cross letter of love and i have already mentioned these in the section on the progress of insight i'm not going to go into much detail about them here but when you are familiar with the models i'm going to discuss you should be able to make some sense of them the non-duality model the non-duality model is without a doubt my favorite of them all 
it essentially says that the goal is to stop a process of identification that turns some patterns of sensations into a doer, perceiver, center point, soul, agent or self in some very fundamental perceptual way. By seeing these sensations as they are, the process can gradually be seen through until one day there are no more sensations that trick the mind in this way. My favorite quotation that articulates this model is the one that goes something like, In the seeing just the seen, in hearing just the heard, in thinking just the thought. And thus, I may repeat this quotation a few times, just to make the point of how profound it is. Basically, there is just a field of sensations, as there was before, but now all of these sensations are progressively seen to be as they are, and all the sensations that we generally call me are just a part of this process. This model does not imply anything else, promises nothing related to any other models except in some loose way the fundamental perception model that I will talk about shortly. The non-duality model is one of the most practical models in that it focuses on simply seeing things as they are right now. I will talk more about this model as we go, and have already talked about it often in a less direct way. I present it first to serve as a foil or counterpoint to all of the other models, and it is the only model that can withstand reality testing without qualification or difficulty. All of the other models may contain some degree of truth somewhere in them, either literally or poetically, but this is one you can hang your hat on all the way through. This awareness develops gradually, with some sharp jumps along the way, leading to the endless debates about sudden and gradual schools of awakening, a subject that will hopefully become more clear as we go, but probably deserves some mention here. The Sudden Schools of Awakening there are schools of awakening, particularly some Zen traditions from China and Korea, and some interpretations of Hinduism, though this is not a complete list, that say that awakening happens in one big shift, and that's basically it, regardless of exactly how you define it. They deny the claims of the progressive schools, like the Theravada, Tibetans, some other strains of Zen, most schools of Sufism, Kabbalah, other Western traditions, etc., that there is mappable territory before awakening and that there might be lots to do after stream entry or whatever you want to call it. Possible explanations for these schools include 1. There may be a few rare individuals that somehow manage to go straight to full awakening due to whatever interesting way they are wired or practiced, though I've never met anyone who did this. 2. There may be schools founded or influenced by people who got to the first stage of awakening and somehow never realized there could be anything more than that or got trapped in a lie about being fully awakened when they hadn't yet realized there was more to go and never retracted their initial erroneous claim. 3. There are people who just thought that was the dogma somehow and stuck with it regardless of any issues of actually having insight. 4. Other explanations I haven't thought of or run across. Because every single person I have ever known has followed a progressive path, including myself, it is very hard for me to believe the sudden claims except for keeping open the possibility that there may be the exceedingly rare practitioner who occasionally manages to pull this off and thus imagines, based on their limited experience, 
that this is how it happens in general. In short, if you manage to do this, more power to you, and please let me know. Otherwise, I would bet on the gradual, progressive schools, and if you attain something that you are pretty impressed by, give it time to see how it holds up when the troubles of the world come knocking at your door over the months and years after that shift of perspective. Fundamental Perception Models These are related to the non-duality model, and also useful for practice are the fundamental perception models. I say models because various traditions emphasize different qualities of reality as being essential. For instance, the Theravada uses the three characteristics of impermanence, suffering and no-self, as you already know well by this point. The Mahayana traditions, Tibetans in particular, may emphasize shunyata or emptiness, and the Vajrayana traditions may emphasize luminosity or the space-like meditative equipoise of Dzogchen. They may also talk about Mahaati or express fundamental truths in some other way. These models may directly state or imply that enlightenment involves continuously perceiving these aspects of things in all sensations at a conscious level, so that every waking instant we are flooded with the sense of impermanence or luminosity or whatever as our dominant experience. While attempting to perceive this at all times is excellent practice advice, particularly when on retreat. Were these models true, then realization would seem to involve flooding the consciousness of the individual with a ton of information at all times. While there may be moments or bursts of this sort of perception in enlightened individuals, this is not what finally happens. Instead, with strong awareness of how things are, a process of identification stops. The switch is thrown, as noted above in the non-duality models. By following the practice advice of the fundamental perception models, we may come to stop this process. However, as the Buddha said, do not imagine that you must continue to carry the boat once you have crossed the river. While enlightened individuals can at a whim notice the true aspects of sensations, just as color is clear to a person with good eyesight, assuming they are not colorblind, so these things are clear to an enlightened being to various degrees as they progress along the path. That said, just because one can perceive something doesn't mean that particular aspect is the dominant aspect of consciousness at all times. In short, the fundamental perception models are very useful for practice, but do not quite accurately describe the final result. The Specific Perception Models these models essentially state or imply that an enlightened being will be constantly hyper-aware of every single sensation that arises in their field of perception, including not just the ultimate aspects of the fundamental perception models, but also every single little detail of content of those sensations, achieving at all times the perfected fusion of the completely open and panoramic perspective of high equanimity, with the laser-like precision of the arising and passing away at its height. It implies that rather than stopping a process, enlightenment is about becoming so fantastically alert that you see not only the true nature, but also the specifics of each and every sensation that arises at all times. This is not even close to what happens in reality. While enlightened beings will cycle through those stages, when mindfulness is low, each of those stages will present in a low-key way, 
and only for moments here and there will there be anything like that kind of awareness, though when enlightened beings are on retreat and are really powering the mindfulness and concentration, they can temporarily achieve something that resembles these high ideals. The specific perception models are another instance where practice instructions get turned into an ideal of what is supposed to happen in exactly the same way as it happens with the fundamental perception models. They become one more example of carrying the boat after we have crossed the river. Again, mindfulness comes and goes. Sleep comes and goes. Though the Tibetan teachings on dream yoga are very intriguing, concentration comes and goes, various perspectives and perceptual thresholds parade through, and the cycles of the jnanas continue on and on. The ideals in this model and many models that follow it are sometimes used as a weapon by those who like to criticize those who rightly or wrongly claim to be enlightened. Examples include, Don't you remember when I said such and such? Did you notice how I cleaned the bathroom? Or how could you have forgotten to pay the power bill? The implication inherent in each of these is that an enlightened being should have perfect awareness of all aspects of their sensate reality as well as perfect memory of all those aspects. This ideal is unfortunately completely bogus. I so wanted to be a sensation-perceiving superstar with a photographic memory and have been sorely disappointed. As basically everyone out there has some aspect of this model in their working definition of what enlightenment must be, these ideals can be a particular problem in relationships, particularly business relationships and romantic ones for those who are out of the closet about enlightenment. In this basic vein, this brings up another selling point of realistic, down-to-earth, human models of what awakening brings. If you tell people you are enlightened and also promote very high, idealized, delusional, perfectionist models of awakening, those who actually get to know you well will realize how full of shit you are, particularly people such as spouses or partners, business associates, best friends and the like. Further, the more you get stuck trying to be like the person you dream you are supposed to be, rather than who you are, the more you can get isolated in your false and pretentious fantasy land, locked away from the grounding, healing, and helpful reality testing that comes from community and real, intimate human relationships. However, if the specific perceptual models are a problem in this way, you haven't seen anything until you get to the emotional models. The emotional models are so fundamental to the standard ideals of awakening as to be nearly universal in their tyranny. You can't swing a dead cat in the great spiritual marketplace without hitting them. Almost every tradition seems to have gone out of its way to promote them in the most absurd and life-denying terms available, though there have been attempts at reform also. I must give thanks for the attempts, however ineffective, bizarre, mythologized, cryptic and vague that the Tibetan and Zen traditions have occasionally made in this regard and mourn their nearly perpetual failure to make these issues clear. At least they tried, whereas the Theravada basically has really not tried in any significant way in 2,500 years, so far as I can tell. If I am wrong, please let me know. These emotional models basically claim that enlightenment involves some sort of emotional perfection, either gradually or suddenly, and usually make these dreams the primary criteria for their models of awakening, often ignoring or sidelining issues relating to clear perception of the true nature of phenomena.
Usually these fantasies involve elimination of the negative emotions, particularly greed, hatred, anger, frustration, lust, jealousy, and sadness. At a more fundamental level, they promise the elimination of all forms of attraction and aversion. As I am sure you can already tell, I am no fan of these models of enlightenment. In fact, I consider their creation and perpetuation to be basically evil in the good old you-should-burn-in-hell-for-perpetuating-them kind of way, though as guidelines for trying to be kind and behave well, training in morality, I find them of value. I know both what hints of truth they contain and also what a marketing ploy they are, and will attempt to make both aspects clear. This is not easy to do and the dogma of the emotional models is so deeply ingrained in us, all that shaking it can be the work of a lifetime, even in enlightened beings. The practical application of making this distinction is based upon the fact that we will try to realize the model we consciously or unconsciously adopt. It is extremely tempting if we buy into the limited emotional range models to go around imitating an emotionally limited state repressing or ignoring aspects of our basic human nature. There are some benefits to repressing the manifestations of negative emotions while simultaneously being conscious and accepting of the fact that difficult emotions occur. However, if we repress them and also pretend that they don't exist, this sort of cultivated denial can also produce huge shadow sides and a lot of neurotic behavior. A far more practical approach is to accept that we are human, Try to be decent in a normal sort of way, rather than in a grandiose spiritual way, and to assume that reducing and eliminating the illusion of the dualistic split is possible through doing basic insight practices. Reducing the sense of a split can provide more clarity, allowing us to be the human beings that we are, with more balance and less reactivity in the face of that humanity.